What are you watching? Children's programming. the board so with all that being said i think we are live gentlemen Hello. good morning mcparities live and in fucking color, live and in me? color our first video podcast coming to you live not live but so- something like that so um yeah yeah so it's been a it's it's been a real journey and uh here we are live and in color should i put it in black and white just to be on point on brand no, don't uh, don't give Dan Leahy the satisfaction. <laughs> Dan Leahy thinks that everything I do is in black and white, which would be somewhat accurate. Yeah, that's funny. I actually going to be starting on a project soon with a friend that I met at Lincoln Center, and you know we recently decided that we we're going to be doing it in black and white on the iPhone. That sounds about right. Spe- special guest, you're supposed to wait until you're introduced before you speak. Oh, sorry. It's okay. Uh, it's all good. There's no rules here. It's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he's just he's just messing with you. I'll tell you what's uh, really going to cause a stir. What's that? Is this uh, Mel Gibson Santa Claus vehicle. There's a Mel Gibson Santa Claus movie in the works? Yes. So um, Mel Gibson is playing a Santa Claus who is now working for the military. And uh, he's he gets a hit put out on him. And the hitman is played by Walton Goggins. It, a kid does the hit, right? Like a an angry kid who got coal or something, so he gets pissed at Santa. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, I can't believe this is real. How are the? Oh, and the movie is named Fat Man. I almost yeah. forgot about that. Fat Man. It's gonna be the big time. Yeah. Know? The kid's gonna be like, "You're gonna get what's coming, Fat Man." Why would? What is this real? This is real. This is like it's it's being made by a studio as we speak. Is, is does Mel Gibson just have that much star power where he can just make just random? I thought Kevin Smith was the only one who was allowed to do, the, do that kind of experimental bullshit. Exper- is this because he's like I'm on the weed? I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I'm cu- I'm really curious what the budget on this film is like. You know what? What's the budget like? How? Uh, what's the quality on this going to be in terms of production? I mean, it can't I'm be thinking, that high. I'm thinking about like ten, fifteen million. Sounds about right. Is it not right now, or are they wrapping it up? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm seeing the trailers for it on like Twitter and stuff. Oh, I don't so know. I guess it's done. Oh my god, I'm behind. I think briefly we should do our nice little introduction before we get into a deep conversation about uh, Mel Gibson's uh, Santa Claus vehicle. Okay. Um, what episode number are we on? I'm kind of I'm kind of off. I think it's 27. I think you're right. Okay, so this is uh, episode 27 of the Venerable Children's Programming Podcast. This is Matt Dixon, your illustrious host. To my uh, right, we have the venerable, the sexy, the always always on point, Nick Parodies. Hello. I was waiting for you to say you flatter me. Uh, you don't flatter me. You you don't do me enough service. I don't do you enough service. I don't hype you up enough. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not just incredible, venable, and sexy. <laughs> I also am a wonderful. I have a wonderful personality as well. I guess if you're into that sort of thing, <laughs> I, I wouldn't think of any of those things to describe you. But to each his own. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. Um, and today we're joined by a very special guest, 
a good friend of mine. Well, good, good, relatively speaking. I hadn't heard from you in in several years, and then all of a sudden you appeared in 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 a park somewhere, and then said, "Hey, Matt Dixon, where are you?" And we're gonna hang out. And that is Mister Justin Dalton, an alumnus of uh, AMC Theaters of Middletown, New York. Um, truly one of the pinnacles of humanity here. I feel like I say that about everybody that comes on the show. <laughs> Just a nice way to treat people, you know. Everybody's important. Everybody is important. <laughs> when you think about it. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, gents, it's a pleasure to have you both here today. And what's on the menu? Uh, for me, it was chicken pasta. That's what I had for dinner this evening. <laughs> Did you just come back from work? Oh. No, I was um, I was at um, my grandma's house today. It was her birthday. Oh, okay. Did you did you party a little too yeah. much? Have a little too much schnapps? No, 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 no. nothing like that. You just seem very you no, seem no, very out of it today. What? You seem very out of it today. So I have a I have a confession to make live on the air. Um, my dog is dying. Oh. And uh, yeah. No, oh, that's too bad, man. I'm sorry. That's uh, that's why I haven't been over to the house. To, we haven't had Mustang updates in a while because I just haven't. It it you know it, it just breaks my heart to see him like this. This young spry dog mm. who I remember is is now um he's he can't walk. He's he struggles and it's mm-hmm. just it's very sad. And you know I and it's but he's had a good long life and um he's had I've. He's made me very happy. He's made my family very happy. And uh, he's given me a lot of great memories. And I'll always cherish that. And, and that's, how we'll, that's how we'll remember the, the man himself, Harrison. Shout out, Harrison. That's all you can do. How old is he? 13. Yeah, he's getting up there in years. What kind of dog is it? He's a uh, mixed breed, lab mix. Gotcha. So he's made it a good long time. Gotcha. So you've had him since you were, you know, like 10 years old, something like that? Yeah, I mean, I remember coming home fourth grade, the last day of school, and he was there. Mm. It, was, it was, it blew my mind. It was like, cause, you know, I had, I had a dog when I was like younger, younger, and um, but you know, never like, never one that I was like cognizant of and was like t- actively taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, you know, I I taught him tricks. I took him for walks. We had we had great times together, and he he'll always um. Always have a special place in my heart. No, that's completely understandable. Um, you know, I've had some animals get, I've had some lost animals in my life. Uh, I definitely understand the feeling. Um, not to make it sad boy hour. No, it's it's okay. We can have sad boy hour. It's there's nothing wrong with sad boy hour. Yeah, I support it. Um, yeah, that's that's I'm glad that you, I'm glad that he lived long enough to be, um, the subject of my of my photos for class. Mm-hmm. He lived long enough to to see me move out on my own. He lived long enough to. He he was just he's 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 I bet I've been through a lot with him. I he was there when I graduated elementary school and when I graduated high school. He was there when I went to college. So dogs are almost like a kind of like a background thing, and it's you know you have them for so many years. You think of it as being a really long time in your life, but. In all reality, it, you know, it was only a, a small percentage of your life when you really think about it. And, you know, and you're going to have that feeling, you, you could have that feeling three or four times over a lifetime, especially mm-hmm. if you have multiple animals. It can be, uh, it can be a real hard, uh, 
can be a really hard situation, especially when you love animals. So it's a it's a blessing and a curse, you know. Yeah. It's, it's you always want them, you want them to be in your life forever because you love them and they're they're important to you and they're they're they've meant a lot to you and and they just can't. That's like uh, my family says the problem with dogs is they don't live long enough, and it, yeah. you know it's true. But it's also a blessing in a way because you get to have that experience four or five, maybe six times over the course of your life. If you're lucky, maybe even more if you have multiple, multiple dogs. So it's, yeah, it's just a shame you a, have to go through that experience every decade or so. Yeah. Depending on, you know, what kind of dog you get, but mm-hmm. sorry, my dude, okay. it happens to the best of us. Yeah. Sad boy hours are always, are always welcome. This is a, this is a yeah. therapy session, if you will. <laughs> so. I've got, uh, I got a boxer in high school. Um, I guess I didn't grow up with it, so I, I haven't had a chance to get as attached with uh, my dog. His name is Decker, by the way. My, my hmm. mom forced everyone to name him after our street. Like, so we live on Decker Drive, and our dog's name is Decker. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, he's, he's actually getting old, too. He's like, he has hip problems and stuff. And yeah, you know, it's, it's around the corner for him, too. Yeah. Really it's a Mastiff, right? No, it's a boxer. Boxer, boxer, boxer okay. Yeah, yeah they usually, the, oh, those bigger dogs didn't, didn't have a lot of leg problems, so. That was what happened with Harrison. Yeah. It was the hips went first. And yeah. That, that, you know, he's, he's, got the, uh, he's got the hip problems now, so it's coming in the future. It's kind of sad to think about, but. Yeah, it's just a part of life. It's, uh, you know. It's, yeah. Well, I like to think, you know. If anything, you could think about it as most people's first experience with death. Right. It could mm-hmm. be uh you learn an important lesson. Mm-hmm. You learn a really important Obviously. lesson early in life for a lot of people. Yeah. Fucking cats live to be like twenty years old, so they don't really give a shit. <laughs> cats are awesome. <laughs> cats are tremendous. Cats rock. My friend has a one eyed cat. Yeah. Yeah. I like to imagine. I don't know how um, how he lost his eye, but I like to imagine he lost it in a in a brutal fight with another cat. Well, we like to think of it that way. Yeah. Like they were fighting over a fish in the alley, like West Side Story fight or something. Yeah, but like cooler than West Side Story because it's cat. I would like to see a uh, adaptation of West Side Story. I think uh, Steven Spielberg should should scrap his new uh, West Side Story film. And make it uh, a combination of cats and West Side Story. You could save the With you life. could save the cats franchise and make a beautiful love story. Are we going to use the uh, the butthole cut cats? Yes, I think I, I, I think the animation style worked. I think the story just needed a little bit of a modernization, if you will. See, I feel the opposite way because I don't think the animation style in Cats 2019 worked at all. <laughs> and I also think that there was no story no? because it's not an opinion. There wasn't a story. I mean, I'd love to shit talk Cats more, but I have to confess first that I actually haven't seen the full film. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're in the clear here. <laughs> yeah, I, I worked at Lincoln Center um, when that came out. And it, I, you know... Uh, film at Lincoln Center, New York City, where they have like the New York Film Festival, blah blah blah. But I was there for the premiere, so it was just so weird. Like I heard all about Cats, and then, then I started to see like the promotional stuff in the trailers, and it just looks 
ghastly. And then at my job, all of a sudden, there's like this red carpet and everything for fucking cats. It just blew my mind. I didn't realize it was such a serious thing until like I saw it at my job, the premiere. It must be nice to live in the city because then you can go to like pretty much any film premiere. It was. It was nice. Now it's... Uh... <laughs> well, maybe not in that circumstance. Yeah, now it's shut down. Yeah. Well, it could be the end of theaters as we know it. I think it will be the end of theaters yeah. as we know it. I think the future is places like Alamo. We've talked about this before. I think the future is local places like the Paramount and then places like Alamo Draft House mm-hmm. where it's really an event. You go and have a meal. You go yeah. and have a, a date night and, you know, or whatever and see the movie. And then places like AMC, Regal, it's just... Yeah. Um, the, the era of that is over, I think. So, um, so yeah, the no topic I was thinking of in my head is how you were saying that Alamo Draft House and like independent cinema will become a lot more prevalent now um, because of. I, I really think that, I think you know, so. some people like Spielberg and others have predicted that Hollywood is heading for a crash. And I think that every year we're getting closer to that just based on how many like how many just half-assed efforts we get from Hollywood when it comes to films. Like you could go on the upcoming for IMDb right now and you could see probably five or six remakes or reboots. And yeah, I mean, there, there's times when you'll see, (laughs) when you'll see like an entire assortment of movies, you you know, you've seen before and then it's like, Oh, it's another remake or, you know, it's some, some adaptation of this TV show. Nobody gives a shit about Which is where I think, like, the services like, you know, the Criterion Channel and Disney Plus being able to put out, like, you know, newer content, even though they're doing the same thing. But people have less of an incentive to go to the movie theater now than ever. So we have uh, uh, coming soon, The War with Grandpa, starring Robert De Niro. He, he continues to just make these shitty, like, one-off films. I don't understand. Um, we got an animated Batman movie. We got Shit House. They, so they literally, literally, literally. It's the shit house. Um, Friendsgiving. Oh. Uh, the Furies. Fatal. Let him go, starring Kevin. Costner. We have to remember we're also Lane. in the time of the year where we're like post blockbuster, kind of like that. Let's get like one or two really popular stars and let's make like a holiday movie or like something that's really aimed at a certain demographic, like this time of the year. We're post. So let, let's restrict this to um, okay. big movies that are coming out. Um, so, so not the war with grandpa, for example, <laughs> uh, jujitsu starring Nicholas. Probably Cage. straight to DVD. That's, uh, that's happening. Uh, free guy, uh, a Ryan Reynolds action comedy. Oh, Where dude. have I seen that yeah. before? Um, the, there you go. the sequel. sequel. Uh, Death on the Nile, which is a sequel to uh, Murder of the Orient Express. Wonder Woman sequel. Coming to America sequel, which is probably the only thing mm-hmm. I actually want to watch on this list. What's that a sequel to? Coming to America. 
Coming to America. Is yeah, the Eddie Murphy. Coming to America. Yeah, the original Coming to America. Uh, they're doing a new one. Oh, okay. It's just named the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Like how Halloween is like technically a sequel to Halloween. <laughs> oh, the Rob Zombie <laughs> Halloween is technically a sequel to Halloween. Yeah. No, the new Halloween oh, with uh, really with Jamie Lee Curtis. That's so stupid. Back. Yeah, there's three movies called Halloween. One is a sequel to one, mm-hmm. and one is a remake yeah. of it. Also, what a real disappointment, Hollywood. Hollywood. I'm just it's like. The- is yeah. it that they know that the inevitable is coming, that there's going to be a big crash where people are like, I, it's almost like they predicted this to happen because now, you know, some movie theaters are not going to be able to survive. It's just not feasible because movies, do, movie theaters do not make enough money to, to withstand and not having patrons in the theater because they make a majority of their money on concessions. Yeah. All right, as so we know, Justin, continue, um, this is 2021. This is what's coming out next year. Mortal Kombat, Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway. Is that a third or a second one? Uh, I think that's the second one. I think that's the third one. I think that's the third Peter Rabbit. Jesus Christ. Am I wrong? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, We have Cinderella. A remake or a a reboot. Animated... It's live action. It stars uh, Camila Cabello. They already did that five years ago. What? God. We we have uh, The King's Man, a Kingsman prequel. A prequel. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I think that's a continuation, if I'm not mistaken, right? Don't know. I know that Paul Rudd is the star. That's all I know. Oh, then never mind then. Maybe it's a new generation. Um, Tom and Jerry the movie is coming out the same day as Ghostbusters. I'm honestly excited live just action. to hear that. If it's is it live action? <laughs> um, it doesn't say, but it does say that. I, I don't think they would do that. It does say that Michael Pena is starring in it for some reason. I didn't think they would do a Sonic the Hedgehog movie, but they did that. Sonic. <laughs> okay. Um. So we got a. Uh, Morbius the Living Vampire, the Jared Leto vehicle, hmm. um, Tomb Raider 2, The Boss Baby 2, Family <laughs> Business, James Bond, No Time to Die, A Quiet Place Part 2. I thought that came out already. No, it has not. It probably got delayed. Okay. Like, just based on what we've heard, obviously... Hollywood is just not, they just don't care at this point because they know people are going to go to the theater. But now that, now that, now that there's no incentive for people to go to the theater because of what's going on, obviously they can't go to the theater right now, but now once everything goes back to normal, you know, relatively speaking, like, are people really going to want to be in close proximity to each other and go to the movie theater? Especially when the movie is not, not worth, it's not worth their time. I think I think we're headed to a big crash. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, when like even the stuff that's quote unquote original that's coming out, we're getting another Pixar movie, which they always do a good job, but they're always like it's kind of the same thing over and over again. Um, yeah. We're getting a Mark Wahlberg action movie directed by Peter Berg. Directed by Antoine Fuqua this time. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I can live with that. 
I like Antoine Fuqua. We have uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I forgot about that one. Another sequel. Yep. The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I'm curious how many of these films listed, what percentage of them are directly owned by Disney? Probably a lot. I I think Disney now, what, 66% of all like theatrical films are Disney? It might be more. <laughs> What's What I'm worried about happening now is we're seeing Disney kind of buying up a lot of these smaller companies or even larger companies like when they bought part of uh, 20th Century Fox is the industry is getting very resistant to there being multiple outlets to or there being a one centralized outlet for people to find films. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of these companies are just scrambling to get the rights to certain films so that way they can get people to buy their streaming service. Like it seems like every company now has a streaming service. And what's going to end up happening there is that much like with MP3s, I think they'll be, there already is kind of a rebellion among people to be like, you know, I don't need to go to the theater to see X-Men 9 when yeah. I can wait for it to come on my fire stick on my bootleg machine. Um yeah. I really think at some point these companies have to get together and realize, you know, there's there's really going to be an end game for for the streaming industry because what incentive do people have? I mean, I'm I'm opening this as a question, like what incentive do people have to not bootleg a movie or to like go to a theater rather than just waiting for it to come out on their streaming service? Like even Hulu has you know, TV shows that come out the very next day that you can just stream immediately from the app. Uh-huh. So it even takes away the incentive of people watching TV live like that used to be back in the day, like, you know, watching the the new episode of Lost or The Sopranos. Now it kind of gets taken away because like, oh, I can watch the whole season in one day yeah. or I can, you know, wait for this movie to come on, you know, streaming in two months. Well, there isn't an incentive. That's the thing. Like there's there's literally no reason to go to a theater for a lot of this this shit unless you're a like a diehard fan of whatever franchise it is. Yeah. There's no reason because it'll just be on streaming services in a few months. And then even if it's not like, do you really like do you need to know what happened in in Fast and the Furious twelve to awesome. to understand what's gonna happen in Fast and the Furious thirteen. Like it's not an interconnected story. It's just like each kind of each movie is kind of a new adventure. Yeah, I mean there's definitely some I mean there's a lot of effort that goes into these bigger films. There's hundreds of people that work on them. Right, of course. So I I'm... get that there's there's the effort put into to make these films great in people's minds. And they're obviously yeah. technolo- they're technically great. They're technically... When we, when we say there's know, no effort in a movie, we don't mean it in terms of, like, the people who are actually making the product are not putting in effort. Like, when you make X-Men 14, like, the actors are really trying, the director is trying the... the most of the time. Most of the yeah. time. You know, there are exceptions, but... You know, those people are trying. What we're talking about, it's a lack of effort. And it's on it's the studio executives. It's the producers. It's the lack of effort from them to be like, well, this we've done this for a while. Let's try something new now. Let's, yeah. Yeah, it's just it, it's a tough situation because 
Like, obviously, we're all very, like, we like those artsy films that come out around Oscar season. And, you know, to some extent, those are no better because a lot of the times, most of the movies that are nominated for Best Picture, you know, Oscar bait movies are a lot of the times the same sort of concept. It's just a different way of doing it. It's so a instead of, of getting it, it's a different target audience. Yeah. So instead of getting Indiana Jones seven, we're getting World War Two romantic movie number five. Yeah. Just in a different way. And not to say that, you know, a lot of every story ever told has been repeated, you know, thousands of times over over the history of, uh, of storytelling. But I, I like to see when when a film like Whiplash or a film like moonlight is able to really get the attention it deserves because those films i feel have a lot more love put into them because the person making them you know has that motivation to make a film that means something to them i don't feel like i I don't feel like a director directing x-men 9 would have the same sort of level of pride for their film as someone like damien chazelle who clearly puts immense amount of effort into the projects he makes. Well, you wouldn't, but it's also you're doing those movies for a different reason. You know what I mean? Like like Taika Waititi did Thor Ragnarok for a much different reason than he did Jojo Rabbit. Immediately what came to mind is that old uh, story you told me about how you think that Gus Van Sant made the Psycho remake because he can. I 100% believe that that's true. Yeah. Okay. There's no, no one can convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it mean, like an ego. what was that? You think he's like, it's an ego project for him? He's like, I'm so good. I'm going to remake. Psycho. No. So what I think, cause, cause he's, uh, you, you know, like Gus Van Sant, he like did like drugstore cowboy and he did like all these, like my, you know, like my own private Idaho. Goodwill hunting. Yeah, we, before that, I mean, like, he did all these, like, yeah. weird, like... He was an like, indie super, indie darling. He was, like, super, super indie. Like, he was way off the beat. And he was ready to do... He, before he got River Phoenix to agree to be in, um, like, my own private Idaho, like, nobody... He was ready to do this shit with actual male prostitutes from Seattle. Like, he was ready to go with them. Taking the Safdie Brothers route of honest. using real people? Yeah. So... I mean, he he was like a super super indie guy, but then he he made Goodwill Hunting, which defied everyone's expectations and became like this big hit. Like no one no one thought Goodwill Hunting was going to be some huge movie like it was. It was just like it was this ra- these two random guys who had written a script. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon weren't known then. It was just these random guys that had written a script. Ben Affleck, and, uh, Matt Damon, and their script doctor, Kevin Smith, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you believe that. <laughs> I partially if believe you it. believe that conspiracy. Um, but yeah, so no one expected that to make like 300 fucking million dollars or whatever it made and win Oscars like that. So Gus Van Sant, he was kind of like riding high. And I think he... I think he just thought felt like, hey, I'm never going to be in this position again. Why don't I make like, why don't I do an experiment for myself on the studio's dime? So they're like, what do you want to do? We will, you can do whatever you want. We will give you the funds to do whatever project you want. And he was like, well, why don't I remake Psycho? And I think in his mind, 
it was like an experiment. It was what if I, because it's a shot for shot remake. I think he was thinking like, what if, what if somebody took the story and the same story of the same shots and the same stuff and just did it with different actors? Mm-hmm. And like, what would, what would change? And I think that's where he was coming from. And I think it was like, I think he was also kind of making a statement about like, Maybe I just got really high one day and thought too much about this. I'm but I think he was. Sure. I think that's making, the case. I, I mean, it's a solid theory. A it's it's a it's a very intelligent theory. I think he was also making a statement about like, hey, you know, you can't you can't recapture the same magic a second time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Because then, right after after that happened, he went right back to making indie shit again. Like he made that that Columbine movie. And he made that Kurt Cobain movie. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's some people out there who saw the Gus, um, the Gus Van Sant? How do you say his last name? I think it's just uh, Gus Van Sant. Gus Van Sant. Do you think there's somebody out? There's probably people out there who have seen his version of Psycho and not the other one, and probably saw it. You know, the remake, and were like, "Oh wow, this is incredible." You know what I mean? Like, there probably are. You know. I mean, I actually maybe there aren't because I think as, as you saw, it's just Bob it's just not a good movie. It's like, just not a it's it's not good. <laughs> as soon as you saw Vince Vaughn as the killer, you'd probably be like, "Yeah, I'm done here." We all we all go a little mad sometimes. So it, it was an experiment in showing like the people you cast matters. I think so. I think it was like it was just. I I think it started out from him as like, "Hey, what if I tried this?" Do you think I could get away with it type of thing? Mm-hmm. And then it evolved into, well, this isn't going so well. Why don't I just fully commit and be like, hey, you know, you can't recapture the magic twice. Yeah. You know. I if I was in if I was in his position, I would remake Citizen Kane in color with um Matt Dixon playing <laughs> Citizen Kane. I mean, I, I don't mind being the star. I love being the center of attention. You know that. That's what I would do. You have to say Rosebud. Rosebud. Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Patrick's <laughs> um, Citizen Kane. So transitioning a little bit, um, obviously Roadhouse should be on the Criterion Collection, right? That wasn't the actual okay. sub, sub uh, segue, but we're not we're not going to go there. Um, so I, I had a topic I wanted to bring up. Really, really quick, if yeah. Roadhouse if Roadhouse is inducted into the Criterion Collection, will one of the bonus features be Peter Griffin's the the Family Guy Roadhouse episode? Um, no comment. The, the, one of the, one the if if not that at at minimum there should be a commentary track of Seth MacFarlane in character as Peter Griffin reviewing the movie. All I have to say is that the Criterion Collection rarely makes mistakes with the films they put on it to my memory it's only been done once and you know exactly what film i'm talking about i'm trying to remember because i you know you know exactly what i'm talking about there's one director that should not be on the criterion collection Um, pray tell i'm referring to the uh the 1998 which uh featured the greatest uh, song from a film of all time don't want to miss a thing by oh you're so wrong you're so wrong 
Michael Bay absolutely deserves to be in the collection, and no. I will explain why. Okay, that we can segue into our discussion on the Criterion right. Collection, but you defend why Armageddon belongs on the uh, Criterion Collection, and, okay. and we'll have your incorrect opinion for the record. Okay. Now, am I saying that Armageddon is a historic piece of cinema and an amazing uh, artistic achievement? No. But Michael Bay is a very important director in film history. And I think this gets overlooked because people are like, Michael Bay, Transformer, yeah, yeah. You know, because he's, he's, he's a showy guy. He's, he's very style over substance. He's like the definition of style over substance, in fact. Um, but he's very influential. You know, basically all modern action directors owe something to Michael Bay. Even... The P, you, even you think about people like uh, like people like Chris McQuarrie who do the Mission Impossible ones or um, or all these Marvel movies, all these um, Fast and Furious movies, they all owe to Michael Bay in the 90s. And then uh, with his explosions and hot women and grandeur, that whole uh, crazy editing style that he pioneered where everything's a quick cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of zooms. That's you know, you, you know a Michael Bay movie when you see it. So he's very influential. He's got a very distinct style. And he's really one of the last titans of... Uh, we When we were talking before about, like, Hollywood kind of going on the outs and uh, being ready for a crash, and part of it is that people don't take risks anymore. And if we take the Transformers franchise out of it, because that's Michael Bay's version of just doing it for a check, Michael Bay is, um, he's kind of one of the only people left in Hollywood who is really allowed to just do what he wants to do and is given the freedom by studios to make the movies that he wants to make. Now, it happens to be loud and obnoxious and crazy, and but it's also fun. You know, Bad Boys is fun. The Rock is fun. Armageddon is fun. Pearl Harbor isn't that fun. Pearl Harbor is fun. <laughs> I hear Justin Dalton's the world's biggest Pearl Harbor fan. Oh yeah. Yes. I think, um, I think Michael Bay is just as deserving of being in the collection as anyone else. And I think if we compare him to like, like I'm looking at my shelf right now and, uh, is, is Michael Bay more influential to modern filmmaking than Alex Cox uh, Wes Anderson. It's maybe it's sacrilegious. To us, but I maybe, think but is. not to uh, the general public. What? To us, but not to the general public. What do you mean, Michael Bay? Michael, I think to the general public, Michael Bay is vastly more influential. I'm How saying, I'm saying, somebody like Wes Anderson or Spike Lee is more influential to someone like us who actually appreciates "quote unquote" good cinema. But oh, to, in the okay. general, in the grand scheme of things, he's more uh, Michael Bay's more influential because, like you said, he's he's more vast. Like more more has been influenced by Michael Bay as far as the industry is concerned than than any of those filmmakers we mentioned. He represents something different. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's he definitely represents a a different part of Hollywood. And another, you Michael could, Bay is like Guns and Roses. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting Bay for the like, explanation. Well, you, Michael Bay is like Guns N' Roses. Like Guns N' Roses is like a big 
huge mega six or like Motley Crue or Van Halen, R.I.P. Eddie, any of those um, mm. big 80s hair bands. It's like those those stadium rock bands that were playing to thousands and thousands of people a night. Like, is the music as 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 moving and as detailed and as intricate as something from like Nirvana or or um or uh, Pink Floyd or, or people like that. No, it's not. But it's 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 artistically important in its own way because it takes a lot of skill to make something that's. It takes a lot of skill and it takes a, uh, it takes a lot of talent to make something that's commercial like that. You know, it's Michael Bay is like pop music. You know, it's 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 just as hard to make pop. Trust me, as someone who used to write songs, it's just as hard to make pop music as it is to write and catch something that's catchy and something that resonates with people as it is to make these crazy prog like guitar pieces, you know, so. I think Michael Bay is very deserving of his spot. Well, um, you definitely argue your point well. Um, I will, I will consider it, but um, Armageddon still does not belong on the Criterion Collection. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> um, so, the topic. I really that I, want to do a commentary track on Armageddon. Maybe we will. I, I mean, I'm not going to buy it. You're going to have to buy it yourself. If I ever own a, I already own it. If I ever own a complete Criterion collection, then I think I'm going to exclude uh, that just because of <laughs> just because of your argument. <laughs> it's not art. It's not cinema. You can put you it are in the best. Like the Forbidden Criterion collection, like the blacklisted ones. Mm. Oh yes, the blacklist. It's only it's only got one film, Armageddon. It's like Harry Potter, the the section in the library. What's it called? Like the where the dark knowledge is. You're not supposed to go there. The Chamber Pot of Secrets. The library, <laughs> so you know. Oh, yes. like the the restricted section. The yeah. restricted, exactly. Michael. Yeah. Um, restricted section. Justin, you live in a you you live in a pretty artsy area, being in New York City. So, what what is it what is it like being being a hipster in in your part of the world? I'd really like to know. It's a weird time to be a hipster. It's like. <laughs> There's a lot what a of quote. No, being a hipster is like living your life with like an enhanced level of cognitive dissonance, you know? You're constantly at odds with yourself and society. It's just tough, you know? And I don't think people appreciate how hard life is as a hipster. You get a lot, of, a lot of hate, but people don't realize, you know, it's somebody's going to do it. So do you feel, in your opinion, that... um that the pinnacle of, of human achievement was the Criterion Collection and that your life's work is to defend the integrity of the Criterion Collection. Who's attacking the integrity of the Criterion Collection? I'm, I'm, I'm referring to the normies on the, on the internet and the uh, of, of main, mainstream society who doesn't appreciate the, the glory that is the Criterion oh, Collection. I want to like, be like an evangelical Criterion supporter yeah you want to spread the, the gospel of criterion what do you think of the criterion's uh, streaming service
And for mine as well, as we've discussed here before. I think so. Streaming. They're pretty late to the game, though. Yeah, like the classics of the class. It was like TCM, but a streaming service. What do you mean by it doesn't it doesn't work? Because I I first came out I.
We are in the industry, Dixon. We are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, no, I lost it too. We were just talking about this right here on streaming. It's something. What do you mean by a Spotify a film? Like something just. At what level? You mean like one streaming service that has every film on most films on it to satisfy? That's or Disney can buy it. I would imagine the problem that you would run into if you were trying to do that for films is that like, like sp theoretically in Spotify, you could make money off of some, like a song is like two to five minutes. So you could make, you could make money off people playing the same, in the, in the same time it takes you to watch like a standard Hollywood movie. You could listen to like an, a whole album and then some. So, you've also you, got YouTube for or Vimeo for you know like fledgling filmmaker Vimeo. You know what I mean? Just word. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like I'm not sure what you're saying when you talk about a Spotify for film exactly. Like Here's a here. Well, here here's where 
here, here's where I think um, they're kind of missing the boat a little bit. Is uh, like Phil. Here, here's a statistic about Netflix for you: is Netflix ninety six percent of the stuff on Netflix is made in nineteen ninety or later. So, Filmstruck was just that reversed. They didn't have newer stuff, and they had all the older stuff. Netflix has all the newer stuff, but they don't have the older stuff. So, but whereas Spotify has everything, like you can listen to Robert Johnson from the '30s on Spotify. You can listen to like these these blues artists, like Blind Lemon Jefferson, who were around in like 1910 on Spotify. And you can also listen to what Little Nas X dropped yesterday. So, I mean, I, I just think I just think Spotify for film. I don't think it's possible because they're inherently different in the way they're commercialized. Mm-hmm. That was ninety six percent of films on Netflix were before nineteen ninety. I saw that somewhere. It was some crazy high number like that. I don't remember exactly, but it was over ninety percent. I, I didn't. Or made after 1990. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, that makes sense. Like, most people that watch Netflix now are, are probably younger, mm-hmm. and nobody really gives a shit about films before 1990 anyway. So. And in general, if something's going direct... I mean, obviously, if something's going direct to Netflix, it was made recently, but just yeah. inherently, if, you're, if your movie was made in, like, 2003 and it didn't make a lot of money... It makes more sense to license it to Netflix than it does to try to do like a second DVD run or something like that. Yeah. I was thinking today, like, even like, because the physical media industry is obviously in its in its last stages. I feel. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's they're kind of losing. They're re- they're really at some point going to lose a lot of that. I mean. Nobody really buys Blu-rays and DVDs anymore except for weirdos like us and people who buy the Criterion Collection, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, does this physical media still have a place to some people? It has a place to me just because I enjoy collecting it, but, yeah, you know. It, it's just sad that, that I feel like people view cinema now kind of like they did in the beginning. Like, it, it wasn't really an interest. It was just kind of a thing you do to hang out with people or, you know, just to go and... and you know do something for the day it's not really becoming a a thing that people love anymore i kind of like that about it though it's because you can i feel like that fosters more genuine love than just because when you do see something you like you're like wow that was yeah that that really really struck me and you you build better memories by going to it with friends and like experiencing Mm -hmm. it together i think we didn't get to talk about it earlier but i think drive-ins are going to make a huge comeback especially now yeah that that's surprising that they were that's something that like you almost don't hear of anymore but now it's like people want to be safer yeah and it's, it's it's something that can now and even if, be viable even beyond like just wanting to be safer like going to the drive-in i think is is kind of a cooler experience than going to some shitty theater like chain theater where you're seeing all these dumb ads beforehand that are like if if the director says mm. cut, does that mean the shooting stops or starts? And you know, you feel like you're, you feel like you're having your intelligence screamed at for thirty minutes before the movie even starts. Like that's why I love going to the Paramount because they'll play like that. Let's go to the lobby thing yeah, at the beginning, and great. they sell they sell very inexpensive snacks and 
like they just play a few trailers and that's it. Like that's, I feel like that should be the experience. That's now almost like people view the movie theater as kind of like an advertising venue in some because aspects. it is unfortunately and you think about like the way our culture is we always have like this nostalgic look at the past you know that's why um that's why fucking baseball stadiums now are designed to look like they were built in the 30s and 40s that's why the new uh dodge challenger and the new mustang look like the old Dodge Challenger, the Mustang from the 60s, you know, so everything old is new again. I think what's more classic Americana than going to the drive in with your friends, you know? It's really exciting that that's a thing because I feel like it'll give people more, it, it, it maybe gives people more of an incentive because then it'll keep theaters kind of around. And then, yeah, I, I, I feel like you can make the same argument about shopping malls because a lot of shopping malls now are being turned into more or less entertainment centers where there's stores in the middle, but then all the stuff on the outside is kind of like, kind of like they have at our mall where they have a, you know, a jungle gym for kids or a bowling alley or somewhere where people can go hang out. And then you have to have something to bring people in. You can't just have a mall where there's, where there's stores. Yeah, I agree. I think which, which a lot of the larger malls do well. Um, obviously smaller malls, something like the Newburgh mall or, um, even the Poughkeepsie mall just, just don't have the same, they don't have the same level of flair. Yeah, like the Newburgh Mall is done for, but it, <laughs> it's been donezo for ten years. That, that's the thing. Like then again, we've been. Saying it refuses to die. We've been saying it's on its last legs for how long, and it's still here somehow. I mean, it just. I mean, the, the, the Sears the at the Newburgh Mall refuses. The twenty twelve <laughs> Occupy Wall Street shit didn't kill it. <laughs> The Sears collapsing didn't kill the Bonton Corona it's still there. Coronavirus did not the kill coronavirus it. Coronavirus did not kill the Newburgh Mall. It's still there. It cannot be killed. I think this is I think this is documentary material right here. Let's do it, dude. Let's the death of the the, the unkillable. I don't know what we'd call How many vacancies are in the, the Newburgh Mall? Oh, it's full of There's vacancies. <laughs> it's so, really bad. There's like it's easier to list the stores that are open. I think we did that it's once. Yeah. And you were impressed that I happened to know what all the stores in the Newburgh Mall were. Yeah, I was very impressed. I mean, I I, I guess I shouldn't have been that impressed because there's one like five of them. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, once Sears goes, it's like both anchor stores are gone. There's really nothing to keep them all open. But, like, the Kingston Mall went on for a while with no anchor stores. Remember that? Yeah. No, I've never been to the Kingston Mall. We got to go up there. It might actually be closed for good now, but for a while, because there was another FYE there, and sometimes if, like, Newburgh didn't have something, I would go to Kingston to try and find it. It's another company that refuses to die. I forgot about that store. They're still around? R.I.P. F.Y. Yeah, there's still an F.Y.E. at the Newburgh Mall. It's like one of the five. Yeah. Oh, there was one in Middletown and it got replaced by the Jimmy Jacks, right? No, the, the Billy, Billy Bees. Bees. Oh my god. You'd be forgiven for confusing the two. I mean, it's Jimmy such Jazz a similar... Jimmy Jazz, Billy Bees. <laughs> I would like to see a Jimmy Jazz that big. That'd be pretty impressive. I would not because... More, more people to, to ignore you while you go to the store. Yeah. Back to what we were talking about last week when we were, when I was rating like when you go into a store and how they don't harass you. Jimmy Jazz, as Walmart does, gets an A plus because they don't bother you when you go they in just there. Completely ignore you, even when you're trying. That's to how I, that's how I like a store to be. That's that's a beautiful store. 
Even when you check Justin, out, in my opinion, in my opinion, when you go to a store, if they if they talk to you, then you get an F immediately. You know, if I could backtrack, you were talking about like vintage, not vintage, like how cinema, you know, drive throughs making a comeback and looking blah, blah, blah. Actually, I work in a vintage glasses store and I've been seeing firsthand like how much of like a new trend of like everything is just like looking back at an old thing blatantly. Like vintage is the thing now i guess i don't know we have like this i i think just this this country in general we have like this romantic idea of the 50s and 60s as like this wonderful time and it was because that was really when america was on top of the world like when you hear when you hear make america great again for example you know not to we're, we're, take take like the Trump thing out of it when you hear like make America great again the thing you imagine in your brain of America being great is like the 60s right you know with like Woodstock and you know cool music and cool cars and cool culture people being shot with fire hoses the president getting shot um, you know Old Vietnam war. all the good th- yeah, all the good you things you remember that stuff oh, you God. remember the good thing it's like how in the 90s nobody remembers like the fucking terrible I think... shit that went down they remember <laughs> grunge and shopping malls and you remember counterculture yeah, more, exactly. more or less like oh I've yeah. been back in high school I was man, things were great I was the top dog or whatever but then like reality was just like an asshole just yeah, old. it's like people don't want to accept their reality. It's rose-colored glasses. That's what it yeah. is. But like, rose-colored glasses is what drives culture, because you want to look back. We don't want to take back the bad stuff. We want to take back the good stuff. We want to bring the good stuff, the cool stuff, and say, "Hey, now you can exist in a world where people aren't getting sent to Vietnam to die pointlessly and shot with fire hoses and." We don't have a, a president who's being assassinated, and then five years later, his brother is also assassinated. You know? I think we just live in a society where, you know, we grow up with a certain viewpoint of the world, and everything we're told everything's going to be okay, and then you turn 20 and realize, oh, you have to go get a job, and, you know, you got to pay for college, and you got to do all these sorts of things, and I don't know how to write a check, and, yep. you know... You realize that that the American dream really is not is not what it's set out to the be American dream for most people. Is a dream, but everyone wants to achieve that dream. But everybody wants to achieve it without working for it. Well, not everybody. I want to. Not everybody. Not everybody. You want to. Achieve. I'm not trying to make a polit- I'm not trying to make a political statement. There. No, I, I'm just like. I know what you're saying. You know. Exactly. I'm slightly cynical about it because a lot of people just. You know, the vast majority of people don't want to put in the effort Listen, to like Trump is the president. OK, it's impossible to not be a little cynical about it. <laughs> like, This is true. This is true. Justin, has your girlfriend been in the room the whole time yeah. actually listening to yeah. us? She's on a, no? a different uh, phone call. Let's say. She- uh, OK. <laughs> Yeah, originally we were going to have her on, and then he's like, no, she just wants to listen. I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, I misunderstood her, because like, she's a documentary, um, she's got a master's in documentary filmmaking from SVA. Mm. Mm. want to talk about documentary. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. But then, then she was like, oh, no, no, no I don't want to be on it. She's a little shy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. It's all but good. But then now she's got a phone call, so she's not even listening. Oh, okay, <laughs> gotcha. Mark went to SVA, the, uh, our good friend Mark Carnsayha. What oh, yeah. the? 
Yeah, he went to. Uh, I think he went to school of visual arts. So, um, yeah. So, but um, yeah. It's 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 hard not to be cynical right now, especially when we're, you know, days away from deciding if the if the future of the country is going to be in the hands of a senile old man or a slightly more orange toned senile old man. <laughs> well said. So, well said indeed. Um. Justin, are you on any ton of time crunch right now? Uh, no, we, uh, no, not yet. No? Okay. Nick, are you on any time and time crunch? Nope. Uh, it is John Lennon's birthday. Shout out John Lennon. <laughs> Happy 80th birthday. Yeah. Um, I think at it, it 10, I, I would probably have to call it at 10, but we'll see though. But I, yeah. Yeah. We can go for like another, let's do 930. 930 sounds like a good time to stop. Okay. Okay. So. I'm tr- um, maybe we could segue away from movies right now because I feel like we've been talking about that a lot. Sure. Um, Justin, do you have anything you had in mind? Because I feel like you haven't. Oh. Yeah, we haven't let you talk much, and I feel bad. <laughs> um. Well, I could brag a little. I mean, sure. We love. <laughs> we love to hear you, you, know, you know, boast. Can I tell? You? Uh, yes. So you know the big clock. Sure. The, the big clock, like there's, you know, when the it's what's his name and the cop are up against like the giant one, and it's like mounted on a truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. On a shot, I managed to find for uh, this film that I'm working on. Um, I managed to find a giant fucking clock at this cafe that they were just like selling. So I bought it and then I like lugged it all the way to this um, storage locker, and it's it looks just like the clock from Rebel Fish. I'm going to put in the film as like a. You know, callback or whatever you call it. Uh, That's dedication, kids. Take notes. So I basically, I've got the clock for Rumblefish. Um, That's but, fucking dope. <laughs> was a pain. That's pretty metal, my guy. Um, everything else on my list is films. It's or you know, film related. Hmm. That's all you good. Know? We can still talk about it. I'm not not limiting the topic. It just. Uh, Feel like we could talk about life. I mean, we started with a pretty, pretty uh, serious topic. So I mean, I could. I've got a page up here. I'm, it's back to movies again, but I'm just curious what you guys think of movie. Is that the? Um, no, I'm thinking of Quibi, oh, the uh, the short form. Is that what you're talking okay. about? Okay, mo- Are we talking about movies? The restaurant from movies. Kevin Smith's Clerks too. I hope that's what we're talking about because that was a that was a cool place. Yes, it was. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I can't say. Um, Mubi is it's a streaming service, yeah, right? Yeah, it's it gets advertised a lot in the subway in New York City. I guess that's why I just happened to know about it. I thought it was more widespread. I guess not. It's it's. I would describe it as the Criterion Collection, but you get a rotating selection of films that changes every every day. Like there's like what is it like fifteen films, and every day one leaves. And a new one comes on. Mm-hmm. So you you know, you pop on and then you've got like fifteen curated films, you know, a mix of foreign. It's a novel concept. Yeah. It's um it's like I would imagine kind of like Criterion streaming, but like a guided version of it. Mm-hmm. Which I mean they have they have guided versions, like they'll have uh like they'll have a double feature that they'll have that combines two films. That they think go well together. But that's a pretty neat concept. What movie is doing, where they have 
like they have a rotating group of stuff and they kind of curate it to individual people about uh, like what should you want i like that idea it, but it's it's not to the individual it's just like um oh just curated in general yeah, it would be like if Criterion for their streaming service only offered 15 movies at a time and they would add a new one on and take one off each day. Hmm. So it gives you, it's like, you know, like you ever open up like Netflix or the Criterion streaming channel and you kind of sit there for 30 minutes trying to like pick something and da 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 and you really. And then you never pick anything and just go to bed. Exactly, exactly. So with movie, I haven't used it in a hot minute, but it was a nice way to actually watch an artsy movie or Mm. interesting movie something i wouldn't normally watch because there's the threat of it being taken away from you you have less uh, selection overload yeah i have a lot of selection overload yeah yeah but i guess it's almost like if i really want to watch something it's something that's not available or you have to pay for which is never good I'm losing a cop car. Rare stuff, not rare, but like obscure stuff. Stuff you don't see on TCM very often. It's not your daddy's. Uh, it's not your daddy's movie theater, you know. What kind of stuff do they have on there? Oh, let me check uh, what's on right now. Movie, a new film every single day. Let's see. I don't. Can you guys hear these sirens? I can hear the sirens. They're definitely up there. 39th Avenue and uh, oh god, they're they're arresting somebody. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they're right outside your apartment. Sorry for the noise. No, outside my apartment. That's all good. It's just always very loud here. Um, now showing. They've got uh, Kurosawa. Oh, okay. It's like it's got some variety. Raba Amir. I don't know a lot of them. Like they have a mix of contemporary or like old foreign. Is it like more of an artsy thing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking it was like, okay, so maybe they'll have Kurosawa and then they'll have like, I don't know, a Michael Bay film and then they'll have like, you would never get a Michael. <laughs> so it's just like the criterion collection, but it's got only 15 movies at, at a time. time. Yes. Yeah. All right. I guess that, that sort of makes sense, but That's why would you just concept. subscribe to the criterion channel? It's it's definitely an interesting concept. Well, it's something Criterion can steal. I I was very disappointed with the technical quality of Criterion streaming service because we got it when it first came out and like just didn't work. It yeah, it's it's work. not the most uh, aesthetically pleasing uh, streaming service, and it's really hard to find things. I have to say. Yeah, sometimes I'll, there's something like that's supposed to be on Criterion, but then they don't have it on stream because I guess they didn't mm. get the license. I find that their their website is more is more uh, functional than the Criterion channel. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Because their website's really easy to find things. You just kind of, they have all kinds of filters you can do. But... It's like you were talking about, you you know, of course we all want the mainstream audience to be, at least I want the mainstream audience to be more into art films. You can't force it on people. Well, that's the thing is you can persuade people, and I think Criterion ha- is in the position to be able to do that with their streaming service, but they are just not doing a good job. You know, they could offer like a service like movie, a tiered service, you know, something like oh, an introductory thing or something like. You know what I mean? Like it'd be so mm-hmm. easy to just go to something like, oh, you like this movie? You should check out the Criterion channel. You know, they do a free trial. You blah blah. blah you know, mm-hmm. like you would think it'd be easier to spread these films now that they're not locked away to a physical Blu-ray that no one's. Mm-hmm. You know, one percent of the country is going to buy, or like less. Any, 
even just beyond that, it's something like Netflix could easily try. Like, because yeah. so, like, it, it's really about selection overload. Like, so many people, you know, if you're just like, you, you just go on Netflix at night, you're like, like, you're smoking some weed and you're looking for something to relax before you go to bed. And you're like, all right, what, what kind of dumb comedies do we got on here tonight? And you go to comedies and there's fucking like a hundred thousand fucking choices. Like, it would be so much easier to just be like, hey, we got old school, happy Gilmore, Caddyshack, curated stripes, you know. You want your comfort, you want your comfort food movies. Exactly. The ones that make you feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. Exactly. It's harder and harder to get that feeling. And really bringing it up in me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think the the concept of the Criterion Channel bringing that, because I think that's, I don't think that's something you could really bring to Netflix because the the demographic of Netflix is vastly different than the Criterion Channel. I don't know, Um, though. I feel feel like if they said, like, we'll pick a week and we'll bring the entire filmography of this particular director, I think that'd be a good concept. Like, uh... I mean, I don't know if they've done that, but... Criterion has how many films run Criterion? Uh, over a thousand at this point. Thousands? Um, speaking of that, uh, in a in an, a future episode, we're going to have a gentleman on Justin Dalton. This man has every Criterion physical release, <laughs> literally every sing every single one. Yeah. And not only does he have every single one, but he also has multiple versions of the same film on different formats. He has every Laserdisc Criterion collection film. Salute to this guy. This man is an absolute legend. Shout out to Dice K. Uh, I forget his last name. Um, really, his name is Dice K. He's a Criterion collector. Oh, yeah. Dice K. Beppu is his name. He's from Japan. Not to be confused with Red Sox great Dice K. Matsuzaka. Yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind. But Dice K. is an absolute legend. And he's just this stoic man with a complete Criterion collection right behind him. He's just, he's just everything I want to be in life. Truly. <laughs> so, but we'll have him on in a couple. We're going to have him on soon, hopefully. I'm just uh, working that out with him. Yeah, but um, what were we talking about? But I am curious. I think I know your favorite film, Matt, uh, Clerks, right? No, it's actually my second favorite film. What was the first much. one? Shawshank, of course. Oh, right. Okay. But I'm curious. That- that's that's an easy that's an easy mistake, I guess. I guess you don't know the ethos of Matt Dixon. Well, well, you are um, you are outwardly interested in Clerks. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't talk about Shawshank nearly as much as I talk about Clerks, yeah, but right. I could be forgiven for thinking that was your favorite film. Hmm. Um, well, I'm curious about you, Nick. Uh, what's your favorite? My favorite film is the assassination. The assassination of Jesse James by the, James coward, by the coward Robert Ford. That's on my list. I actually, I, yeah, I got a lot of things I got to get to. It's hot garbage. It's not hot garbage. You liked it, <laughs> as I recall. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was it was worth one watch. I'd give it a one watch. <laughs> I'd give it an infinite watches and put it in the collection immediately. I mean, it would it would definitely be. Right, well, that could be a good topic. Not- what do you think? Other than the assassination of Jesse James, what's the one film you would put on the collection? Connected in New York. It's connected in New York. Yeah. I feel like that's a perfect Criterion movie, and I'm surprised it's not on there already. Twenty fifth hour. Twenty fifth hour. 
Hmm. Okay. Did you guys see the new Kaufman movie? The new what? The who? The new uh, Charlie Kaufman film on Netflix. I'm thinking. I haven't it. seen it, it yet. I was almost in it though. Really? Yeah. I um. I got my. I got my application in too late to be in the the band yeah. scene. Alas. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, because that was filmed in Middletown. Oh shit! No way. Yeah. Yeah. That the auditorium they filmed it in is the Twin Towers Middle School Auditorium. Mm. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of independent productions up here. I think like eighty percent of the media program at New Paltz was in that the, uh, the what's that movie the, the, the Jarmusch movie. The Dead Don't Die. I think like yeah. eighty or ninety percent of the of the New Paltz uh, media program was in that film. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, Quiet Place was in the area too, so I'm sure there was a lot of extras there. As I well. did a Hulu show last fall. Is that the one that I was going to do with you, but then I ended up not doing it? Yeah, Daylight Daycare. We were going to be in the Mardi oh, okay. Gras scene. Gotcha. Yeah, I got to do some more. Uh, I got to do some more background work. Yeah, it, it was nice. You know, you showed up. You. I mean, I made $180 to stand in a crowd for yeah. six hours. It was easy. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. So. And you get the off chance of meeting insert celebrity here. Yeah. There were no celebrities on this, this TV shoot. <laughs> At least none yeah. that I recognized. Hmm. Um, hmm. I think we could probably wrap it up about here if that's if that's okay with you guys. Yeah, sure. Cool. Um, so yeah, we got about three more minutes on the recording. So uh Justin, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I wish we could get some more uh some more artsy pretentious uh hipster stuff out of you, but we are obviously limited on our time. But you are always welcome to join the show and uh please tell your girlfriend to come on with us. We'd love to hear her perspective on the documentary uh field. Um, obviously myself, very interested in documentaries, would love to hear anything she has to say. Can I give a shout yes. sign off? Can I give a shout out before we sign off? Sure. Oh, yeah. who, are you, who are you shouting um, out? The the concept of immortality, uh, we can all live forever. Don't think that you have to die, kids. Don't think you have to die. Your parents are wrong. Right. The schools taught you nothing. Exactly. You don't have to grow up either, kids. It's a scam. Don't grow up. I mean, you might want to. It's uh, it's good for your health, uh, good for your uh, your your well being. If anything, if we all so. work hard enough and believe in it, we can get ourselves to a point where we can all be biologically like twenty five forever and never die. Justin, I got a question for you. Uh, what would you like the opening and ending song of this episode to be? Your choice. Uh, Alvin Rowe by Animal Collective. And then, what's the ending song? Same thing. Um. Pick something do, different. Do the be- opening is Alvin. Oh, well, it's a 22 minute song. So you could do the opening is Alvin Rowe, and then the ending is the end of Alvin Rowe. Oh. Okay. Um, I, like I was thinking of just doing a fucking. Her. I was just thinking of doing a fucking Radiohead song just to oh, okay. represent your hipsterness. Do um, the fucking the new. The one they have the Netflix for? In the name. The one that makes. I'll, I'll I'll figure something out. I'll put creep at the end for you. Just don't do that to me. Okay. <laughs> I'll I'll think of something. I'll 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 pick something nice for you. But be on the lookout for a uh, obviously no, yeah. Do the new Tom York one for me. I'll I'll, I'll see what I can f- come up with for you. This is going to take me a while to edit because I'm doing a video and audio now. Right. So Anima, that's the album. Do something for Anima. Yeah. 
from Tom York. Um, so yeah, thank you everybody for joining us today. Um, as usual, you can subscribe to us everywhere you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can knock on Nick Parody's door and he'll give you a mixtape. Uh, you can yell for Justin Dalton on the street and he'll uh, he'll tell you where to find it. Um, out of the sewer. Yes. Um, please send voicemails to anchor.fm slash children's dash programming dash pod. That's our page where you can find all our information. Um, follow us on Instagram at children's programming at and then everywhere else is at chi programming, C-H-I programming. Um, and yeah, it's been a pleasure, fellas. Nick Parodies, do you have any closing arguments? Uh, Jesse James forever. Yes. Do you have any concepts for the name of this episode? Not- I was thinking rose-colored rose colored glasses for the children. Yes, I like it. I was like my it. concept. So. Um, yes. So, all right, I got about 10 seconds left, so I'll, we'll stay on the line for a second, but I'm just going to sign off for now. And uh, goodbye, everybody. Live and in color. Oh, what a fun time. Yeah. Oh, now it's not good. Ow, ow, ow.